And so I try to approach it from that standpoint, once again, putting myself in, in someone's shoes and, and what would I want to hear if I was afraid that something was going to take away my job. I'm David Ote, and this is The Power of Story and Science, a mix of content and conversations on how to bring your science to life through powerful presentations. How do you get your audience on your side when they fear that your innovation will put their job at risk? That's not a scientific problem, it's a communication problem. And it's one that pharmaceutical scientist Stephanie Passis Farmer encountered when she brought her innovative artificial intelligence solution to market. Listen in as Stephanie explains where she found the skills to meet that challenge. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Power of Story and Science. On this program, we look at communicating about science for anyone who gives technical presentations, whether they be about science, engineering, or other technical topics. You need to tell the story of your work to capture and hold your audience's attention, and that is our theme here on The Power of Story and Science. And as you may be aware, this program is a mix of content and conversations, and today I am having a conversation with Stephanie Passis Farmer, the president and founder at Ariadne Solutions, a company that provides artificial intelligence solutions to a stage of the pharmaceutical development process to which AI has not been applied before. Very innovative work, it sounds like. And I am so looking forward to talking with Stephanie. Stephanie, how are you today? I'm fine, thank you. Thank you, David. I'm glad to be here as well. Um, I, I had a, a conversation with you previously that I, I must admit, uh, some of it went over my head. Okay. <laughs> I am not a pharmaceutical scientist. Um, although I've, I've come to understand a bit more of those processes over the last several years. Um, would you start by just giving us some, some background on, on yourself, uh, and, and a little bit, I guess, on, on the company, since that's you know, providing the solutions that you, you dreamed up, and in particular about the, the communication aspect of how you do science. Sure, thank you. Uh, no problem at all. So my background is pharmaceutical sciences, and I am in the area of testing, which, to be honest, was a lot more complicated before COVID came around uh, to explain the importance of what we do. But we do uh, clinical testing, uh, for determining kind of the disease state and the amount of drug that might be in the body. But rather than it being on the diagnosis of a disease state, like such as COVID with the serological testing that we heard a lot about, we're actually in the drug discovery side. So not diagnosis of the disease, but treatment of the disease. But it's a similar sort of uh, testing that we do. And this is key in drug development in the various different stages before it actually gets in, uh, approved as a drug. And it's also important after, just called pharmacovigilance, watching and, and making sure everyone's safe and treated appropriately and that they're not uh, actually made more sick by the um, by the drug that's being applied and actually is doing what it needs to do. So that's generally what uh, what someone like myself does. Uh, working in the lab or as 
running a lab as well. And that's the area of AI that we came up with a tool because the data that's developed um, and uh, is sent out there to the drug development consumers, our stakeholders, uh, is actually all manual review. And it's very tedious and it can be overwhelming and exhausting. So we created an AI solution called Human Augmented Intelligence to not take the human out of the review process, but provide them a tool so that they could uh, spend more time solving the problems, not just finding them. So that's what the solution is. More time solving the problems. So you want the humans to spend more time solving the problems and and less of the time on the tedious work of discovering what might be, what, inconsistencies in the data or something like that? Exactly. Exactly. Because we're human and we'll miss things. But let's give the exhausted task back to the computer and have it flag things so that way, as a human, we can understand the impact. Because right now with AI, it doesn't have the ability to assign impact. I, I use the my cup of water, like a, uh, a computer can tell you it's standing up, a computer can tell you on its side. But a computer can't tell you that if the cap is off, all this water is going to spill out. That's the context that a human will provide. The context that a human will provide. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. This is... Uh, it's, it's scaring me that this is actually making some sense to me. <laughs> uh, I'm glad to help. But that's the impact of the, the, the issues that uh, our software will help find in the testing parameters. Uh, and it also helps with efficiencies and uh, it'll help get drugs hopefully to market faster because you find things beforehand before they become an issue and, and not after the fact. And uh, so all those different things that will add to getting drugs to market faster and hopefully more effective and at a, a lower cost to the consumer as well as to the developer. Get better drugs to the market faster. Better for hopefully. the better for the provider, is. better for the uh, the patients who ultimately take them. Right? Exactly. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now here's something interesting. I'd like to know more about your um, your background in terms of what you were doing in a lab or at a computer terminal or at a workbench before you were running a company? I was uh, working in the lab, processing plasma and serum, all different sort of nasty things that you have to have to detect uh, the drug levels in a body, make sure that the patient was being treated appropriately and um, and also the impact that that had on their body chemistry as mm-hmm. well, mm-hmm. make sure it was safe. So that was what I was doing uh, after I got my PhD out uh, in pharma. And then I started running those types of labs. So I was managing individuals within the lab, uh, really around safety and efficacy of drug treatments. Okay, that pivot is what I'd like to focus on for a minute. Because Mm -hmm. it seems like over and over again, when I've had scientists or engineers um, on my program, um, one of the things that often comes up is that the skills that got you to a certain point, the skills of being a, a researcher mm-hmm. that, that took you through successfully what you were doing with uh, all of those uh, processes, looking at, at serum, et cetera, those are different skills than the skills of running a lab, supervising other people doing that. It is. It is a completely... It's similar skill set. Uh, you have to understand, uh, you have to be able to go back and forth between um, 
really grassroots, you know, very uh, into the weeds sort of level of understanding maybe what your researcher is doing, and then big picture how that's going to impact the clinical program as a whole. And that can be difficult going back and forth. And you have to be able to communicate, speaking of communication skills, there's a different level of what you might communicate to someone at the bench, as we say, uh, what's important to their day-to-day work task. And then what you would communicate externally, you always have stakeholders in your data. That might Mm -hmm. be external. If you're at a contract lab, it might be a large pharma, small pharma. You might be doing something on someone's behalf. Or when I was in pharma, I was actually almost like an internal CRO where I had my stakeholders, but they were within the company. It might be a clinical pharmacologist or someone that was taking my data and making assessments of the uh, success or Uh, maybe non-clinical impact of the data of the treatment itself. So you always have stakeholders and you need to understand what's important to them Mm -hmm. because the, you know, a clinical pharmacologist is not going to care about dilution factors, which is something a bench will have and and vice versa. Your bench chemists might not really care about what it means for the treatments. But they also may sometimes understanding that, to get people motivated at the bench for them to understand how important what they're doing from day to day really does help energize and make them feel less of a, a cog in a wheel and more uh, impact uh, from a health perspective of meeting unmet medical needs. So I find that uh, really you have to be understanding of what your, what your audience is um, and how technical and what their pain points might be and what they really are wanting to get to understanding and not okay. lose them. Okay. I think you said something really important just then. You okay. have to understand <laughs> who your audience is and what mm-hmm. they need. And that's something I keep trying to come back to over and over again. When I, I talk to technical presenters and when I coach speakers, uh, your information goes nowhere if you don't meet the needs of your audience. Exactly. It happens quite frequently, uh, especially for individuals that are speaking technically. We may fall into, and I do this myself probably even with you and my spiel about what my company does or what my background is, we fall into what we feel comfortable with, which is might be highly technical jargon, mm-hmm. um, and, and which it's legitimate jargon. Sure, jargon has jargon. a place. Right, it makes communication it, more efficient. Exactly. But when I'm trying to explain to uh, my, my auntie what, why what I do is important, I'm not going to speak in those terms. I have to think about um, making it uh, accessible to whomever might be consuming the data set. So I really do try to put myself in the mindset as much as I can of the one that's consuming the data so that I get to the information that they want to as quickly as possible um, so that there's not this, and then revisit any additional questions that they might have later on as the conversation goes on. Um, I jokingly call it, and I'm probably aging myself, the when Harry met Sally approach. If you know that movie, <laughs> Harry, Harry, Harry was known for reading the end of the book first. And to be honest, I do that as well. Um, so you really want to get to the end as soon as possible. So they know, how you know whether or not it's successful or not, and then walk them through uh, the various things that you investigated. I find that that by them knowing the answer up front 
and then walking them through, uh, there's less anticipation and uh, more of a conversation. That's less my anticipation, approach, more of a conversation. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, do you remember a time when it, it suddenly became clear to you that you needed a, a different way to communicate as you were moving from being on the bench to being a, a supervisor, a manager, a, a company founder? I found that the first, my first foray into needing to speak to a more diverse group of individuals consuming my, the data sets was really when I went from pharma into a contract research organization, where uh, at that point I was actually sitting in between the stakeholders that were consuming, so the pharma developer that didn't have any background in what I was doing, and my team that was working on creating the data sets. Okay. And I found, I observed others and where conversations went awry. And I really tried to look at where was the conversation going off track and take note in myself. And even if I was actually having that conversation as well, I'd ask others, where did things not go well? I think asking those and finding out failures of a conversation and then readjusting later on was really how I honed in to making a more successful conversation. And also, he is, I have to give a lot of bad news, perhaps, <laughs> and making that um, constructive is, it was a key lesson that I learned when at the contract research organization that I was at, there was in a few of them. And really, that's not an easy place to be in. So I did teach, I tried to learn myself as well as teach my group to always come with a way to resolve and not just give a problem, but try to think how would you resolve it as well. So that way there's, uh, you can leave next steps and hopefulness to the conversation, not just dire news. Really do try to solve the problem as well. Okay. So because of the work you're doing, you often had to deliver bad news. In other words, um, something didn't work. The data didn't support where the stakeholder wanted to go with it. It might be that, or it might be inconclusive. That sometimes usually mm-hmm. happens where you have to do additional um, evaluations, and so therefore uh, timelines might be impacted. So really going to them with a plan um, made a big difference and actually it was more it was helpful when you may have to say, your project will be delayed, but we'll do this to catch up, or we'll do this to mitigate the risks that your overall program happens. And really do think of it in terms of how that'll impact or hurt them was really helpful in communications. How that will impact or hurt them. So you're really thinking about, again, what your audience needs, what their needs are, yes. not just not just the information you want to deliver, but mm-hmm. the, what, what does exactly. the audience need from you? I love that um, because it, I think it supports so much of, of uh, what I talk about on, the, on this program. You know, as I said, your information goes nowhere if you don't meet the needs of your audience. And I find it so interesting, Stephanie, that um, you found yourself in the middle of those conversations and with a, a scientist's analytical mind, you wanted to figure out where the conversations went wrong. Mm-hmm. Yes. I guess uh, as a scientist, I'm, 99% of the time, what I do fails. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that's what an important thing to keep are. in mind. And to keep in mind that, and so if you if you 
if you don't, uh, if you try to take yourself, your, your ego out of the game and really look at where things worked and where things didn't and readjust, um, I, f- I find that's helpful. And it, sometimes it is psychoanalyzing someone that you don't know um, and applying mm-hmm. perhaps where other conversations went awry and where they were successful. And, but really working through that game plan beforehand. And if you've ever played sports, you do that same thing when you're out there before a game, trying to anticipate what that, what that group, uh, you know, I, I grew up playing some varsity level sports in high school. So I had also maybe that comes into play as well. <laughs> a sports background, which illustrates another uh, key point, I think, and that is that as a communicator, you bring everything to the game, all your experiences, all your training. Um, you know, I, I sometimes will tell people about some of the, some of the, uh, some of what I learned from being in community theater and how that has, has informed the game uh, as a, as a public speaker uh, and speaking coach as well. Everything we do, I think, influences who we are, uh, especially as communicators. Um, I'd like to drill down on that a little bit further um, about what you said uh, regarding setting your ego aside. Uh, But first, we're going to take a short break. This is The Power of Story and Science. I'm David Odie. My guest today is Stephanie Passis-Farmer, and we'll be back after this short break. You are a knowledgeable expert, and you want your expertise to make a difference to your audience, but you can't see them and gauge their reactions. Therefore, you need new tools for engaging that unseen audience. Hi, I'm David Odie, offering you a way to pick up those tools. In my new self-paced online course, you will discover three ways to improve your story, one fascinating tool for hooking your audience's attention, and eight details in your physical environment that will set you apart from other virtual presenters. Today's technical presentations are going virtual, and that means you can reach a wider audience as long as you understand how to serve that audience. So join me for the online course, Own the Virtual Stage. Confidently connect with an unseen audience. Just go to ownthevirtualstage.com for details. Welcome back to The Power of Story and Science. I'm your host, David Odie, and with me today is Stephanie Passis-Farmer, president and founder at Ariadne Software. No, I got that wrong, didn't I? Ari- 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 no, it's Ariadne Software. Oh, I wanted to say Ariadne Solutions. I must have seen that somewhere else. Ariadne Software. It's, a, it's a, the domain is, the, is Ariadne Solutions because we couldn't get software. Oh, so you're fine. <laughs> that's where I saw that. That's, that's where, where I saw that. <laughs> and it is a company that provides uh, a unique kind of software that's applied to the drug development process, as you were telling us earlier, um, which is, I'm sure, fascinating for my audience members who are into artificial intelligence and into drug development. Where I really want to go with this, though, is more on the communication side. Um, you talked about having to set your ego aside when it came to um, being a scientist where, you know, over 90% of what you, of the experiments you run fail, and yet you still have to come to your stakeholders with some kind of solution. Mm-hmm. Yes, you do. Yeah, and uh, what, uh, where did you find that you... 
Um, where did you have to go, I guess, um, whether it was to a, a mentor or something you found in yourself to uh, acquire the soft skills that are needed to do that? Because that's not so analytical. That's really much more of a problem-solving, you know, interpersonal problem-type leadership communication mm-hmm. situation. It's, it's a different thing from looking at data. Very different. It is very different. And uh, I have to say that some of these skill sets and wanting to establish them uh, more successfully within myself as well as in our industry as scientists in general was when I went to back to graduate school, many, I mean, undergraduate school, um, many of my friends were actually business majors and they actually had whole, whole courses on communication and uh, interviewing skills and how to properly go on an interview and how to address questions when there might be more critical nature. And I was actually very envious of many of their processes that they had to undergo because as a scientist, none of of those skills were truly addressed. We focused heavily on lab work, on written communication, which is important. Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong. It's very important to be able to write what your data uh, suggests within within a document, but I found that actually standing up in front of an audience and speaking to maybe a wider set of uh, stakeholders, people trying to communicate a wider set of backgrounds, was not something that we were taught, and that was actually a real disappointment to me. And I understood it as a gap in myself, uh, and so I did actually listen many to many of what my my business major and communication majors were doing and, and try to take to heart what they were doing and apply it to myself. And if you fast forward even into graduate school, there was really nothing at KU where I went to graduate school where we focused on that. Um, there were actually great programs for international students, which I felt was actually in U.S.-based students actually could have benefited as well. Okay. Um, of uh, different, t- even down to like table manners that were different um, for international students. So cultural and aspects as cultural well. Cultural aspects yeah. as well. But I felt that even even for ourselves, we could learn because I would like to know culturally what is acceptable for other countries and, and not because it's a global community what we serve. Uh, so I guess along the way, I was noticing and trying to absorb information from other programs that were provided to individuals. Um, because I really saw that as a gap within myself. So uh, what then I also did is I went back to my undergraduate and we actually started a women in science professional development program back in 2016 to help actually address those issues. We now actually have a yearly process for a yearly program for the uh, juniors and seniors to actually sit down and, and do mock interviews and to look at your CV versus resume because it depends on whether or not you're going to academic or graduate school or going to job and really working with the students there and providing that service for them and and that chance for them to have mentorship and to uh, understand how an interview would go. And so we actually established that to, to help with the communication and soft skills. So you actually went back to your, your school and helped them establish this program for undergraduates, upper level undergraduates Yes. Um, yes, we did. To build their their communication skills. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me more about that. I'd love to hear more about that program and what it's accomplished um, for those students. I, I, so 
it, what it accomplished is it's actually a, a yearly program in January. So right before people are starting to go on job interviews, there's also a career fair that happens. So it's before that to get their resume or CV, depending on when what they need, and, and do mock interviews. And it was a great process to understand and to work with. I went to an all-women's college, so the women uh, on campus, um, to understand uh, how they would negotiate a salary something like that, or, mm, or how they would actually mm-hmm. answer questions um, and, and, and understand uh, their own. They, we even did a Myers-Briggs evaluation of whether or not they're introverted, extroverted, how they consume uh, social interactions and how perhaps they might help identify uh, how others would, would need to be approached and communicated with. So it was a great program. We meet. Um, I actually haven't been involved in the last year and a half because of COVID as well as my own schedule. But 2016 to, two, to 2019, we, we do yearly meetups and we uh, sit down for a day on Saturday. And we had a small college and we had 60 people in the room on a Saturday. Wow. <laughs> <which> is, right? <laughs> all day. So uh, they also wanted as well, which was great. And so we, we have mock interviews, as I said. We have usually speakers uh, that will address um, various different approaches for communication scientifically, as well as just how to sell your your own yourself, because that's what an interview is, to advocate yourself to whoever might be on the other side of the table. Right. And, uh, to be an advocate science, for yourself. Yeah, and to be an advocate for yourself and also to understand that no one else will advocate for you. So, so how do you advocate, uh, but without stretching the truth, right. but with just, just relaying yourself and understanding once again, uh, what the need is for that you're applying your position for, and then how your skill set could fit into that. <clears throat> how wonderful that you were able to help get that, that program going. It yeah, sounds like it's we been... even got a fund going as well. That was great. We set up a fund, so it should be able to be continued on in partu- uh, you know, into the future as well. And so you saw a need there that you felt was not addressed for you as an undergraduate, because you noticed your friends who are business majors getting <clears throat> instruction in communication and giving presentations and, and, and mm-hmm. interview skills and things of that sort. And I'm sure with a, uh, a busy uh, schedule of scientific classes and lab courses, <laughs> that just wasn't something that you worked <laughs> into your, your program. And, and yet you found a way to do this at a specific time of year that benefits those people before they're hitting the job fairs and the interview cycles. Yes, yes. So when I went back to meet with my uh, my mentor that was was there when I graduated, and we brought on other women that were interested in helping, and, and now it's this large community that serves the girls that are there, or women, I should say. Yes. Um, <laughs> All right. Um, uh, interesting. How interesting. I. Uh, and I picked up on what you just said because I have I have three daughters. <laughs> I grew up with sisters, daughters. raised daughters, so we have yes. that in common, don't we? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, uh, two of them have uh, uh, pursued more of a scientific interest in their education. Um, one, in fact, just graduated from nursing school. So uh, I, I I appreciate the efforts that go into. Um, not just making STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math um, accessible to a more broadly based cross-section of humanity, but um, also really encouraging people, encouraging people to go in that direction and helping them see that there's more involved 
than purely analytical skills. That the communication, the soft skills, that's, that's all a huge part of it, isn't it? It is. It is. Communication. Um, it, also, sometimes you have to communicate and get people on your side, right? Try to convert them to, to what you're thinking. Right. And, and so by thinking, uh, putting yourself in their shoes uh, really helps break down some of the barriers because then you're, you're also validating their opinion. You might think differently, but you're validating their opinion uh, and their place and then trying to meet somewhere else that is best for both, both opinions, hopefully. And that had to be, I would imagine, a particular challenge when you were starting your own company. I mean, you had to communicate um, about a need that you saw that was not being met and a, a, a business opportunity that was presented by that need and mm-hmm. get people on your side. And how was that um, different from communicating about um, a set of data to a, to a stakeholder? I mean, the stakeholders are, are different at that point. They may be different or they may be the same. Um, really what was key to what we still, we still struggle with actually is that we're taking a manual process and trying to convert it and provide a tool for someone. Um, and there is the fear that this person will now become obsolete because you're giving them a tool and it's key to, to emphasize, even when I was introducing the product, the product, it's human augmented intelligent. We're not taking the human out of it. We're providing you a tool because the computer can only point out so much and we still need humans to understand impact. But to also work it into an area that before was, there were no tools available, still are none in many ways, but people believe that other things are providing them the same oversight, which it's not. And so trying to point out areas that are gaps to individuals that might not might have a fear response when you actually are pointing out gaps mm-hmm. and trying to to uh, not be uh, associated with that fear response, which is a negative response, and trying to hopefully be a part of the resolution. So that's that was where we really focus a lot of our communication is trying to be a help, not not point out people's flaws, but point out how we can help make things easier for individuals. Okay. So you were taking a, a process that um, is subject to human error, yes. and without trying to point fingers at the humans involved, saying <laughs> we can give you a tool that will that will help you do a a better job with less tedium. Yes, less tedium. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, there was a, a time in my career, and I've talked about this before in the show, so I won't elaborate on it, when I was placed in charge of a training program. And mm-hmm. as a bunch of engineers, we thought, oh, we just need to throw information to people about how this technology works. And, and that mm-hmm. approach didn't work <laughs> no, <laughs> until I spent more time with people whose jobs were about to be changed by this technology on which we were providing the training. And I realized they were fearful. Mm-hmm. You know, They were fearful that... They wouldn't know how to use the tech, the new technologies. They would get yelled at or fired. They may have been fearful that the new technology was going to eliminate jobs, which was never the intention of exactly. it. Um, 
But we had to, in order to be successful with our training, we had to take away their fear. And we couldn't walk in and say, okay, we're here to take away your fear. <laughs> you know, that, that just didn't work. We had to be a little more subtle about it than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, you, you do have to be a lot more subtle. And what, what is interesting about what we have treated is that I, I'm a potential end user, right? So I built this actually as a tool. I have a consulting firm as well. And so it was actually built for me to use or my consultants on our team to use. So I am an end user. And so I try to approach it from that standpoint, once again, putting myself in, in someone's shoes and and what would I want to hear if I was afraid that something was going to take away my job and 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 uh, less focusing on, as I, I think we talked about this prior, uh, we're focused heavily on quality, which once again has a uh, kind of a... Um, an assignment of guilt if you have like, oh, you did something wrong. And that's really not the point of the software. The software is to uh, point out areas of risk so then you can either eliminate the risk or go forward in the conversation with your stakeholders, knowing the risk and then applying a resolution or saying there's no impact. It's really, it's it's when you have a risk and you don't know what exists that it's the biggest risk to, of all, right? And so it's it's providing you power around understanding your data and making it quicker. And so we really focus more on the efficiency part and making your lives easier because that was actually, rather than the improvement of quality, which also comes with it, but just making your 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 life easier and, and, less, and giving you more time back in your yes. day and being able to do it remotely to assist remote situations that we have. Um, that's really what we decided that, that rather than focusing on what I was concerned about, which is the quality, I really thought, huh, they're responding in a fear-based approach. So how do I change the message so that way that they understand that there shouldn't be fear and it's actually to make their life easier and not to replace them because we still need them. Uh, and so that's how we switched our messaging. And that's actually been a lot more easy. It's been an easier thing to convey is that we still need humans there. We still need you there. This is to make your life less exhausting and less looking at a spreadsheet over and over again and and really let you focus on the troubleshooting and the problem solving that we as analytical scientists love to do. That's what we're trained to do. Mm-hmm. Let's have you focus on that. So, you know, and less time looking through Excel spreadsheets and more time going back to the lab and, and performing the experiments and solve the problem. And, and more time doing the things that as a scientist you want to do. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I, to encapsulate what you just said, you saw what people feared and you changed the message. Yes. yes. That is so powerful because, again, it comes mm-hmm. back to uh, communicating based on the needs of your audience. There's so much information mm-hmm. you could throw at people, and yet what you saw was we need to change the messaging here because we need to make sure we're not conveying something that indicates we don't think people can do quality work. Mm-hmm. Um, and we need to make sure that people don't think that this tool is going to eliminate their job. Um, so the it, it comes back to it's not about the science so much as about the messaging and about understanding the needs of the people you're talking to. Exactly. Your information goes nowhere if you don't meet the needs of your audience. You just provide exactly. such a brilliant illustration of that. Thank you. <laughs> it's, it's been such a pleasure talking with you and having you on the show today. It's been a pleasure being here and talking to you as well. 
So if someone wanted to follow up with you and find out more about the solutions that your company provides, where would they go? Well, there's a few ways to reach us. There's um, our website. We have a contact us page and it's www.ariadnesolutions.com. Um, they're also more than welcome to email me directly um, at my um, email address, which is spfarmer at ariadnesolutions.com. At ariadnesolutions.com. Yes, exactly. And, and, and real quickly, Ariadne, because she was the one who... Uh, oh, yeah, so I'm, I'm part Greek. And so Ariadne is the Greek goddess of mazes. Mazes. And so, yes, yeah, so our data can feel like a maze. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she gave a piece of magical red thread to that would weave your way and find their way out of a maze. So the company is called Ariadne, and the software itself is called Red Thread. It's meant to help you weave your way through an and out the of software is called Red data. Thread. That's mm-hmm. brilliant. I love that tie-in. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Well, thank you again for being on the show. And if someone wants to follow up with me with any questions or comments or suggestions for future guests. You can go to the homepage of this program by simply going to www.storyandscience.com. And as you browse that website, you'll find buttons that say uh, schedule consultation, which is an easy way to get on my calendar for a 15-minute conversation about this program or whatever you find interesting to talk about. I always love hearing from my audience members. Stephanie, thank you again for being on the show. And thank you to everyone who is a part of the Story and Science community. This has been The Power of Story and Science. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend, leave us a review, or so that you don't miss anything, subscribe at Podbean or wherever you like to get your podcasts. This program is a production of Speaking of Solutions, LLC. Theme music by Kevin Lufkin. I'm David Odie. Thanks for listening. 